Hey, everybody. I've got a little bit of housekeeping here before we get into the episode about Instagram and Theology Beer Camp. So I've been getting more active on Instagram, and I just want to let you guys know, in case you want to see me make some videos where I look directly into the camera, I'm sharing some stories and posts about basically all the topics that we cover on this show over at Instagram.com slash Dan Coke. That's C-O-K-E, and the link is in the show notes. Also, Theology Beer Camp is returning in 2024, October 17th through 19th. The theme is Return of the God Pods. That is a Lord of the Rings reference, which should surprise nobody. I will be there alongside Brian McLaren, Diana Butler-Bass, the New Evangelicals, Bible for Normal People, Tony and Josh from GGCH, of course, Trip Fuller and Homebrewed Christianity, and a whole grip of others. And you can use the promo code RETURNOFYHP, all one word, for $25 off your ticket. Prices go up starting June 1st. That link will be in the notes. I hope to see a bunch of you guys there in October. It was a serious highlight of last year for me. My name is Dan Koch. Like many of you, I've been on a complicated faith journey for a number of years now. And while I tend to find myself on the progressive side of Christianity, my goal is not to make liberal converts. I want this show to be a resource for Christians to my right and to my left, as well as former Christians and non-religious folks, anyone who finds themselves asking difficult questions about God, science, prayer, fate, suffering, evangelism, and more. So many of us have been given bad answers to those good questions, often by people with pure intentions. I want to say that you have permission to take both Christianity and the modern world very seriously. And I hope to facilitate that by introducing you to people seeking God across the Christian spectrum, engaging hard questions in a multitude of ways. Thanks for listening. So we were at Theology Beer Camp last week and we had a, there was a bunch of scheduling changes and uh, Dan Hasseltine from Jars of Clay did not end up coming. So I didn't end up interviewing him, but in that, in the place of that session, uh, since Josh and Tony and I were all together, we had this last minute chance to do a live generation gap culture hour at beer camp. It turned out really, really well. Uh, it was probably the highlight of the trip for me. And I think the people who were in the room, um, I talked with many people afterward and, and I think we all understood that something special was happening there. As you'll hear, there was some very cool and very significant uh, crowd interaction, questions, responses, uh, people kind of jumping in. Uh, it was really, really fun. However, we did not know we were going to be doing that and we did not have any good recording gear with us. So we used our phones uh, and did voice memos and and had our phones be our microphones, uh, as well as an iPad that was kind of getting audience questions and stuff like that. So the sound quality is not as good here, but it was uh, such a powerful and fun and just a good overall episode that we wanted to make sure you guys could hear it. 
And Josh assures me that it does sound good enough to release. (laughs) So we are going to release it here uh, for you. Uh, But thanks for bearing with us uh, on the sound quality. Now, in fact, it was such a good topic and um, it's a topic I'm really interested in. And so I actually wanted to put the first half of it on the main feed uh, for people uh, just just to kind of put a little beacon out there, a little plant, a little flag that this is something I'm interested in talking about and interviewing more people about. And so this is in part putting part of this on the main feed is in part uh, for myself to kind of make sure I don't lose momentum here because this question of whether or not there's a masculinity crisis and and what constitutes it and what do we do about it and is there a new vision of masculinity that is not toxic but that is actually masculine in some meaningful sense i just think it's a question that's not going away it's also like in the broader culture and it's a question that i find myself very interested in so i'm looking forward to engaging uh, with some different thinkers on this topic not all of them men as i as i mentioned early on in this episode So, yeah, thank you for bearing with us. Also for bearing with me right now, I have a a cold that I got from Soren. Uh, Oh, and finally, um, (laughs) Jaffrey's pregnant. She's been pregnant for a long time. I realized at beer camp that I had never talked about it on the podcast. Uh, So my own masculinity crisis is for the minute uh, stalled, postponed, uh, because, you know, I I got a woman pregnant. (laughs) Is that part of it? I don't even know if that's related. Um, but we uh, were expecting in December, and there might be a, some kind of a little break, probably not much of a break on the You Have Permission feed. We've got, we're a little bit ahead on things. So uh, I will try and mention this organically elsewhere, but I just, I, I realized that we never made a personal announcement, like on Instagram or whatever, which is what we did with, with Soren. And I didn't want to talk about it on the podcast before we did a personal announcement. Uh, but then we didn't, have we never did that we just like never got around to it and and most of our friends found out uh and so then i never got around to it and then everybody was surprised when i told them that we had a baby coming in less than two months so anyway we do another little boy and i am super stoked and thank you guys for all of your support in every way so if you want to hear the full version of this conversation of course you can become a patron patreon.com slash dan coke it's seven bucks a month you get access to at least two of these exclusive episodes or full versions of episodes per month. Oftentimes it's three and uh, the Facebook group, which is for patrons only and is an incredible online community as well as ad free and sometimes uh, a bit longer versions of the main feed episodes. Okay. Thank you guys. We'll get into it. Okay, welcome to what we hope will be a successful recording on via iPhone voice memo of the Generation Gap Culture Hour, October 2023 edition. We are at beer camp right now in Springfield, Missouri, Theology Beer Camp. And uh, we were given, uh, basically we are doing this because Dan Hasseltine of Jars of Clay did not show up. (laughs) I'm sure he had good reasons. I don't mean to say he ghosted us. I just mean he didn't come. And I, I, this was supposed to be tomorrow, uh, Dan on Dan, me interviewing 
Dan Hasseltein. I will admit that I had not prepped any questions, and yesterday I was still getting through his Wikipedia entry, so simplified things for me considerably <laughs> that he did not come. We are speaking very loudly for those listening later. If this recording works, we're speaking loudly because there are no microphones in here, so it's not because we're trying to yell at you, and uh, we're just going to hope that Josh can do enough audio magic to make this work. Um, but this is another Generation Gap Culture Hour. I love doing these episodes. Tony and Josh, any kind of brief opening words? The person I was most excited to see before this was Dan Hasseltine. So <laughs> somehow I'm in his shoes right now. Wow, that's a that's a letdown. Yeah, and you have to fill them. I was planning to come back to my dad with a bunch of cool stories from the Jars of Clay singer. That I, the first concert I ever went to in third grade. Aww. But now it's just me and Dan and Tony. <laughs> Awesome. Well, and speaking of Josh and his dad, I would just say Christmas tree. God damn. <laughs> inside joke for the patrons. Someone came up to me and said, I know you because of the Christmas story. I'm trying to think. Yeah, Mary over there. <laughs> so thank you so much. Uh, yeah, this is apparently a recurring bit now in live events. So. Josh Gilbert and his family all sleep under the Christmas tree on Christmas Eve, including wives and girlfriends and boyfriends. It's pretty creepy. <laughs> I see the benefits, but I don't see them enough to want to engage in it. Um, okay, so if you guys have listened, you know that we have added a new recurring segment at the beginning, what used to be known as bar, bank, or church. We have now added in dispensary. So we take turns picking a city, and we name four locations each of, one of each of which is a bar, a bank, a church, and a dispensary. Uh, and we guess on which is which, and we get points for correct guesses, and we take turns every episode. So it's my turn. And you know what? Weed is legal here, so I chose Springfield, Missouri. <laughs> so if you live here or nearby, do not give away. This is not normally a problem when we are just talking over Zoom. So no snickering. Or I don't want you giving them any help. All right. So the four names, you're gonna write them down. Well, yeah. Okay. We, we need to. Okay. Keep Tony honest. had his iMessage app open to text in inside of a message instead of the notes <laughs> the app. Notes but app. It's, it's way better. To you know what? Know. That's a nice generation gap right there. There's there's a, as a millennial to a Gen X. Let me say there's an app for that. Okay. That's a deep cut. All right. So we've got, we've got four businesses, one of each. Parkview, Revival 98, Oakstar, O-A-K as in the tree, and The Garden. Now the rules are this. You get one point for every correct guess. And if you, and then what is it? If you freeze out the other two, you get four points, right? Or whatever, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember? Okay. So, Parkview, Revival 98, Oak Star, and The Garden. Um, whoever, whichever of you would like to go first. Yeah. Sure. Springfield is rife with, uh, well, honestly, this is, I forgot to say, it's too bad we're at the venue's church. Yeah. That would have been oh a slant. That Nobody. would have been a free point for yeah. me. Yeah. Free Nobody points. Nobody would have been like, church. No, no one would have got church, so that would have been, oh, well, but everybody knows. All right, I got mine. Okay. My guess is Parkview for bank, Revival 98 for bar, Oak Star for church, someone knows, and The Garden for weed. Okay. Dispensary. 
Okay, noted, Tony. <clears throat> Parkview Bar, mm-hmm. Revival 98 Church, Oak Star Bank, The Garden Dispensary. Tony got one. Oak Star is a bank. Josh, big old fucking goose egg. No, yeah, zero. Zero. Okay, the real answers. Revival 99 is the dispensary. (laughs) Also, I had a backup mojo, which I thought that sounds like a bar. Okay. Parkview is the church. Mm-hmm. Maybe in any other city, that'd be obvious. O- uh, Oak Star is the bank, and the garden is the bar, which sounds like a dispensary. So much misdirection. Springfield is great for this game. But I think I'm, uh, I mean, I was in last place. Yeah, I think I was like way ahead of you, so maybe it's close. I'm probably still in last place. You know what? I'm not going to let you ruin my joy in this moment. So, okay, so that's. We're going to get into our... We have, like, really one topic here to spend a bit of time on. um, And I want to motivate it a little bit. So, depending on your sort of spaces that you occupy, both digitally or in person, there is a lot of talk these days about a crisis of masculinity. I think that term is used differently by different people. And that's kind of where I want to start our conversation here. And if we can include a generational element, I've got a little generational element myself. Um, The question is, for each of you, all three of us, to the extent that there is a crisis of masculinity right now, how would you describe that crisis? What are the specific issues that are a part of that crisis? I, I can go first if you want and give you guys time, or either one of you can go first. You can go first. Okay, I'll go first. I'll save. I'll save my generation answer for later. So, how come there's no women on the panel? Good question. There's no women. There are there are many women on many other panels at the moment. Uh, no, I, I I think that we can. I think this question is interesting from any number of angles. Actually, I'll, I'll give you a straight answer. I think it'd be interesting to hear what women think. Uh, I was just talking with my friend Sam about trans men and trans women. That's also an interesting angle on what counts as masculinity. As soon as we leave behind a gender binary, I I actually think that if I felt forced to have a woman here, I'm kind of giving in to that gender binary. Masculinity is not something that only men have. Women have it too. If If it is a thing that we can talk about, it's spread out more on a bell curve. And probably there are multiple subtypes of masculinity. So I'm super curious what women would say. But GGCH is the three of us, so we're going to talk about it. But I, I, I am planning to do episodes on this topic, and I will not only be speaking with men about the topic for uh, proper main feed episodes. So good question. Um, so for me, I am interested in the more theoretical kind of gender theory aspects of this. But... In terms of my feeling motivated to talk about it, for me, it kind of starts and ends with the statistics. Um, Like the data that we have that is fresh, especially about younger people. So I'm going to read some examples here. Um, These are from Richard Reeves, uh, who wrote a book called Of Boys and Men. I first found him or heard him on the Ezra Klein podcast talking about the book, but he's been interviewed at a number of various publications and done like a Washington Post opinion piece and stuff like that. So here's like a nice kind of starting one. In 1972, when Congress passed Title IX to tackle gender inequality in education, men were 13 percentage points more likely 
to hold a bachelor's degree than women. Today, women are 15 points more likely to hold a bachelor's degree than men. So that worked and then some. Um, boys are falling behind at all levels of education, K through 12, undergrad and graduate programs. The median real hourly wage for working men is lower today than it was in the 1970s. Men account for almost three out of four deaths of despair, so-called, generally understood as overdose and suicide. Uh, I believe men are four times more likely to die by suicide. That one is uh, mainly because men are more likely to use firearms than women, and firearms are more effective. I don't think that that means that we don't need to think about that anymore, right? Like, we're not going to get rid of the guns, so I still think that's a live question, even though we know kind of probably the main... uh, mechanism by which that happens. And these numbers are especially stark for low-income boys uh, and boys in black families. So I think you can even make an intersectional argument uh, for the the need uh, for this question. There's a, a group question, I'll just repeat for the recording, of like, isn't there... I'm going to summarize. I hope that's okay. (laughs) Uh, There's also kind of a gender role difference here in terms of um, stigma around needing help. Uh, I think that's definitely true. I think that that's one of the consequences of patriarchy for males is that they are given, and and I'm, to be clear, in case you don't know me, I'm very anti-patriarchal systems. Uh, There are false claims about women and men in patriarchy, and it harms both of them. Of course, for millennia, it has financially and power-wise vastly uh, benefited men over women. But in today's day, the patriarchal assumptions are toxic for everybody um, in in the way that they function. And actually, that's kind of a perfect tee-up because I have a a, a little quote here uh, from Richard. Um, If you look at school counselors... It's between six and seven times more likely that the counselor is female. Same with substance abuse counselors, special needs teachers. They're all very, very strongly female-dominated, even though in many of those cases, most of their clients are male. I think it's a problem that the caring professionals, professions, that the mental health professions become more female by the year, even though at least half of the people who need these services are male. People say the problem with boys is that they won't get any help, which is a form of victim-blaming. Maybe, but there's a danger of a vicious circle here because if all the people they can get help from are women and some of them would prefer to go and get help from a man, depending on the nature of their problem, it's a vicious circle. And as far as I can tell, this is getting zero attention. Um, I wouldn't say it gets zero attention because having just completed doctoral coursework in psychology, it's definitely something that we've talked about. Uh, I know therapists in the Seattle area who specifically focus on work with men because they recognize this. We, you know, I had a classmate in my program who comes from a military family, worked as a corrections officer, and primarily wants to work with male combat veterans on PTSD. And he's the shit. I mean, he's going to destroy and be an incredible force for good in the world. So I think there's some conversation about it, and Richard Reeves is trying to sell a book. So, uh, you know, we can soften it a bit, but the the concern there is real. So for me, this is kind of where where it starts. And I don't think I really, I didn't know most of these statistics six months ago. So I'm kind of new to thinking about it, but those numbers are stark. And I'm curious what you guys, if you've, if you've seen that stuff, if you've 
thought about it, like kind of what your reactions are. Uh, those of you who listen to the podcast and are patrons of, of Dan's podcast, so you listen to this, these episodes, know I talk a lot about my kids. I have three children. They're 23, 22, and 18. Boy, girl, boy. Uh, so I've thought a lot about this. I'm a big fan of Reeves and what he's written, and also the writings of like Jonathan Haidt and Scott Galloway, um, all of whom are well-credentialed professors and intellectuals. These are not uh, these are not uh, Charlie Kirk and Ben Shapiro. But I will say that my sons are very fond of Charlie Kirk and Ben Shapiro. Um, and I, as a parent, you know, it's interesting because I, my parents, um, raised me in a very, like academics were far more important than religion in our family and re- but religion was still important, but academics first, that was what we were all about. And when I went to college, uh, Freshman year, I got into Campus Crusade, and I came home Christmas break and was a, like, hardcore evangelical pro-lifer, like, lecturing my parents. My mom, who had had an abortion um, when she had um, an ectop, like, she had a pregnancy with an IUD in, so she was going to have a severely uh, deformed child that maybe would have threatened her life in the delivery, she she had an abortion, okay, and she was open about that and and had talked about it with me when I was in high school, you know. So I came home from college as a very conservative pro-lifer, and my parents, to their credit, did not freak out. <laughs> they were like, they just rolled with it. You know, I was 18, and I knew everything, and they rolled with it, and over time, over time, after I got uh, kicked out of Campus Crusade for having an unteachable spirit. Um, I, Num- number one cause for being kicked out of Campus Crusade, probably. I didn't even know that was a thing, having an unteachable... Because I grew up mainline, you know? We didn't use phrases like, you By have the an way, unteachable just, just spirit. So at 52, you still have an unteachable spirit. <laughs> 55, thank you, but thank you for underestimating my age. But um, So, I say that... Because some people, when I say this, like, oh, my boys are real. Who's the guy who's um, <clears throat> Tate? Yeah. Andrew Tate? Andrew Tate. My, my, my oldest son recently was like, I think I might go to Romania and see if I can intern for Andrew Tate. And I'm like, don't freak out. I'm looking on Wikipedia. At, I'm like, who's Andrew Tate? Generation gap, generation gap. Yeah. I'm like, who's Andrew Tate? I'm looking it up. And I'm like, okay, uh... Tell me more about that, you know. Might he live in Romania because he can't live in the United States? That's exactly why. You could ask an open-ended question like that. But there's, you know, truth, (laughs) truth, truth. Okay, so um, here, here, a challenge for my boys, it's interesting because my boys, I think, were brought up in a very progressive household, obviously. Um, I mean, maybe that's not obvious, but I'm... I'm progressive. It's not fucking obvious. <laughs> I know, I know. I present, I present differently. Yeah, because you, because you, you uh, figure out the room, and then you figure out how can I be a gadfly in this room or this circle, right. and that's and for you in 2023, that's not to be progressive. 
Right. You can't be a gadfly right. that way. I'm general like for where I live, I'm progressive. We'll put it that way. Who gives five minutes to describing how you exactly kill a duck and where? The- <laughs> the- Tony the progressive. Yeah. Um, even 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 progressives eat meat. I don't. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, they, when my oldest son went to college, he went to an Ivy League school and was told in by a classmate of his in a, in fre- like during the first week of classes in a freshman writing seminar, I've heard enough from straight white males. I don't want to hear anything more. I don't care about anything you say. This is in a writing seminar with like 12 students. And he got a lot of that in college. As a result of his experience, my younger son was like, I'm going to Texas for college. Because he visited his older brother three different times in New Hampshire and and saw that and was like, just, I don't want to be in that kind of environment. But frankly, it did push my son to the right. And both my sons to the right. And my daughter's a little bit different story, but she also, frankly... It, she went to a very similar school, and she's also skeptical of that. So all, to get back to the, the crisis, of, crisis of masculinity, I just think for my, I appreciate you talking about Reeves, and I, I think Reeves is right on the, like, kind of the societal, like, the survey level, like, yeah. the numbers show it's very, this. It's very wide. Image. Yeah, and I'm talking about anecdotal evidence with two sons who are young men, and are, as a result of what they've experienced in society. My, my older son once told me, I want to be part of the remasculinization of society, of America. Which a lot of you are like, that's toxic, right? That's toxic. It kind of but depends on what you mean. It kind of depends right? on what you mean. So both my boys have like really gotten into powerlifting. And they're very much into, they think I should be on um, TRT. <laughs> Testosterone replacement therapy. They keep telling me that. <laughs> I'm like, so okay, those I'll think about it. Aren't only I'll, for think old about, people? I'll think about it. They're for the sons yeah. of old men. Uh, okay. Uh, so that's it, like when they that's like when they do bright colors and they advertise toys to children, knowing that they will tell their parents that they want the toy. Yeah. They're like, I bet you the TRT people are like, how do we get the 20 year olds to get their to dads tell their dad with the money to, to tell buy their bald dad? The yeah, you should start TRT. Um, so I do think it's real, and, and I will say a lot, one last thing. I, I obviously, having raised these two boys, I've spent the last years, you know, uh, and I was a single dad, and ha- they were with me for like the last eight years. I, I had sole custody. And so I was really at like every game and every, you know, uh, debate tournament and, uh, and robotics thing, and I, w- I went to all of it. So I saw all their friends, all their peers, and I don't know what I did right, but my, neither of my boys was ever into video games. And almost all their friends spend hours and hours playing video games all day. And I talked to other dads about this, and they're like, yeah, but my kid, he's like on his headset talking to other boys. And I'm like, don't you want him to like go throw a baseball? Or, you know what I'm saying, like kick a soccer ball around in the backyard? Yeah, he won't really do that. There's, it, it's really, um, I've seen a lot of that, and I've seen a lot of, you know, then these, I've then, I'll just end with saying this, a lot of these boys, of my, my boys' friends, when they go away to college, which everyone in our town goes to college, a lot of them end up back. Mm-hmm. 
they get to college and they really struggle at the social aspect of college. I don't fit in, I'm in too small of a town, the school is too big. You know, and the parents then, you see the parents at the Christmas party or whatever, and they're like, yeah, my son's moving back, and they have excuses for like, well, the school really wasn't a good fit or whatever. You're like, you wonder what, they, they've, they, they've, these are a lot of kids, a lot of kids and boys have not, they've not had any kind of struggle or challenge in their lives. And they get, colleges, as we, any of us who went knows like freshman year in college is a freaking crucible for, uh, for you as a human being socially to figure out um, who you are and who your friends are and what you're going to be. And um, they, a lot of them struggle and end up back at home commuting and, and then you know, this is in Reeves' book, too. A lot more young men are still living at home at 25, 26, 27. I mean, I have to be honest. When you asked this question, Dan, I was like, oh, God, we got to talk about this. <laughs> Initially, I thought this feels like when I was in youth group and all of the guys separate and we talk about porn. <laughs> they talk about modesty over there and then we, you know, find each other again and we're all excited. May I just briefly say, one of my one of the best friends of my whole life, I will not name him, figured out that everyone else was masturbating at a junior high lock-in. <laughs> and he was not everyone else's hand went up and he went home that night and started masturbating. <laughs> True story. This is just a patron feed. You can name him. I'm not going to name him. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah, but, but to answer the question, to me, the word masculinity isn't really in my circles that much. So the crisis could be that it's, it's so, I mean, honestly, it feels synonymous with misogyny. Like those terms just kind of take up, like whatever that is, whatever masculinity is, is just kind of untouchable. And I mean, I'm definitely in left circles. I don't cling to, honestly, I don't cling to like the binaries. I don't really need that language. Yeah. So the crisis could be, it's kind of becoming erased and kind of unclear. And there's just like this nebulous, you know, th- th- there's no conversation around it. But, but honestly, for me, it doesn't seem to be something that I need to think about or lean into. Like for me, the idea, I mean, just watching Barbie, I, I kind of loved that it kind of called people into humanity like of course there's the gender side of there's so much commentary on it but it really felt like it was inviting everyone into what it means to be human and and that's really where i spend a lot of my energy that there isn't i'm not like striving for masculinity because i was born male in a way that i'm just trying to embrace humanity one of the ways i wonder if it shows up and it's hard because i'm 40 and it's just been a long time since I've thought about this stuff from like a teenage or 20-something perspective. Um, But one thing I can imagine being different now than 25 years ago, for instance, is like, it seems to me that a lot of the gains for women in Western culture have been by essentially saying, okay, we had this binary and these strict roles and women are at the bottom half of that. So let's explain, let's help them see that they can actually do the stuff that men can do also. They can, any job, any, you know, whatever. And now that's like pretty much, at least for a certain age group, that seems to have succeeded. I know that there's still a there's wage disparity stuff. Uh, the most striking to me is at the sort of 
executive level, sort of the top 1%, that's actually where I think there's the most sort of concrete injustice. Um, we, we don't have to get in the weeds, but below that, the wage disparity is often about women choosing to have flexibility for raising children. And I don't, I don't want to demonize that choice. I think at the executive level, it's pretty clear. Like, there's really no reason that way more CEOs should be men. Like, there's not a compelling reason for that. Whereas there is a compelling reason that women might want to raise kids and be flexible. Um, but like, in terms of a, like role models, like if, if that worked, so if like I have a 15-year-old daughter, let's say, and if we, since we have effectively succeeded, at least on the coasts or whatever, like, yeah, honey, you can, you can fucking do whatever. Like, if we're doing zero sum, if we're doing for every job that a man, a man might have had, now a woman might have it, is there a corresponding one for boys or teenage boys or young men? Like, what's the, what's the aspiration? Like, I know what the aspiration in Barbie is. And, and like, people talk a lot about, like, the Apatow films as a sort of contrast to Barbie, the knocked up and 40-year-old virgin and stepbrothers and these very, you know, boys being fucking stupid and that's where the comedy comes from. And their ultimate, the ultimate meaning of those films is actually to become like a provider and become responsible. But there's nothing particularly masculine about that. There's nothing really like sort of man related. Like you're saying, it's humanity. It's like become a mature person. Yeah. Do you feel from your age and you, with your friends that like, does that just not matter like, I think for me, it mattered that I could see men, not that women couldn't also be inspiring, but it, I don't know if it's psychological or what it is, but like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. does that just not apply or, or what? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I definitely am not, it's not really on my radar that I'm looking for male role models. I guess there are several. Shoot, well, <laughs> what did I think was going on? <laughs> <laughs> Like, I do have some, there are some men in my life, some older men, Tony included, for sure, that are, that I do, I do look at and I kind of go, huh, it was, it was different for you, wasn't it? Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's not where I thought that was going. No, me neither. No, me neither. There are men in my life, Tony included. Man, you, it's really been tough for you. <laughs> Wow, just pulled that carrot from him. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Please continue. Well, I just, I don't find myself looking for, that's, that's just not on my radar, I guess. Um, when it comes to my aspirations, what I'm striving for, it, it just isn't that gendered, personally. Yeah. Yeah. And that, of course, that's just how I've come to be. Like, I'm not particularly looking at my dad and saying, like, what are the differences between him and my mom? Like, what are the gender Right. Things that I'm learned that I've learned from them. Um. Let me ask you this: How much of that do you think is sociopolitical? Because I would, I think we could say with 99 percent accuracy that the existence and popularity of Tate, of some of these like extremely toxic versions, like itself at least shows that for let's just say the other half of American society that like there, there is a vacuum or Jordan Peterson's popularity or whatever, uh, to some degree, Rogan and his 
like both his style and the topics he chooses to cover on his show. Like I, I, I think it makes sense to me that like you, you're like a lefty touring musician. Of course, I, that's my story too. You have painted fingernails at this very moment, like which is which is fucking cool. Like I get it, AFI. You know that's my generational touchstone. Okay, <laughs> Davy Havoc, Davy Havoc. Okay, like but you're but that's one yeah. side of American youth culture or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I mean, I guess when I was thinking about this question, like the hour before this, when you brought it up, because um, I had two hours to come up with what yeah. we were going to talk about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah to me. A lot of that stuff, the Andrew Tate, the Jordan Peterson, Joe, all you know, you can name all those people that are obviously servicing some aspect of the population that like seems to need that. To me, that's not like like the crisis could be painted as that. Ne- we need to find a solution for like the crisis of masculinity is how can we basically raise like mature men that are in that vi- more like like farther extreme side. Like they need. We need a way to kind of like handle their masculinity. For me, it seems to be more about w- however you identify, wherever you are on the spectrum, to just lean into healthy a- aspects of balance. Like it's not really, it's not like I was raised super masculine and I just need to find this way to like satiate that side. It's really just like, am I finding myself emotionally available to the loved ones in my life? Am I, really, it has a lot to do with emotion. Like, am I, willing to take time and space to think about these things am i act, am i motivated all am i motivated by these sort of like harsh like harsher anger feelings and we're not really defining masculinity here but i mean i i, w- I just also want to say like to remind us that that for what josh is saying it may be the most <clears throat> advanced progressive version of western civilization but it's a tiny minority in the 7 billion people on this planet. Like, guys, I, I was just overseas. I, I like to travel and see other You're cultures. You're hanging out with Andrew Tate in Romania? Yeah, right. <laughs> and like, t- uh, buddy, I'm going to, you know, okay, that's cool, but, like, I'm going to go check it out first. Like, I was on Malta, okay? And it was interesting for spending a week on Malta, the island of Malta in the Mediterranean, which is per capita, other than the Vatican, the most Catholic country in the world. And um, I didn't see a single trans person that I could see. There's no dudes with painted fingernails in Malta. And like gender roles are very clear. That, that doesn't mean we didn't have female and male servers at our restaurants or working at our hotels or whatever. It just means like it's a much more traditional gendered society. And then we went to Rome for a week and I've spent many, many months in, of my life in Rome and Rome and Italy is still you know that you, it's a little it's a little more progressive than Malta but not but like let's go to Southeast Asia like come with me to Singapore or Vietnam or something like that like this is this this thing is like oh I don't even think about gender and I paint my fingernails is like that is not how the world actually is but it is but this little silo of theology beer camp is like this and I just one thing I've been thinking about a lot, and I, my, the, my podcast episode that will release on my podcast on Monday is with a guy I've come to know who spent 27 years in the Marine Corps. And we, talk, we were talking, he saw a lot of combat, actually. And I think one thing that's really, really changed, and I don't think 
we can overstate the change is, and you might not even like it, I'm not even putting a value judgment on it, but for the vast majority of human history, young men have come to know themselves in battle and war. That is how they've come to know themselves. hunting. At least hunting. No, there was almost always, no, even if it was tribal warfare, warfare was a, has been a part of the male, the masculine role in the role. Almost every society. And we, we are extirpating that from our society because we don't like war. And I don't, I bet if we took a poll, most people in this room would be like anti war. Um, I hope and so. And so I'm, well, okay, but that's, you're making a value judgment on yes, that. And I'm, and I'm telling you, I, I read, I like, I read every war memoir I can read. And the reason I think is, I mean, I've read scores of war memoirs because I think having not gone to war, like Gen Xers didn't go to war, having not gone to war, I feel like I, 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 most, 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 the vast, even the wars we fought in Afghanistan and Iraq, it was a, it was nothing like World War II or That's even, true. or That's even Vietnam, or even Vietnam. No, I'm talking about the, I'm talking about World War One, World War II, Vietnam, and then I'm talking about back before that, like generations ago, where every man at some, not every man, the vast majority of men, it was a generational reality that at some point you would be in battle. And I'm like, what did I miss by not being in battle? And look, I'm not, again, I'm not saying I wish I would have gone to war or I wish my boys would enlist in the military or anything like that. I'm just saying that is a sea change for men is that we, that's that which was part of defining generations of men is no longer for us, no longer. Now that's not obviously the case for young boys in Israel. You know, yeah, like, but the percentage of modern men under 50 who have a serious chance of going to war is surely the lowest it's been in human history. Correct. It must be. It must be. Yeah. So I'm just saying you take that and obviously it's going to change how men, what, what masculinity means in, in society. We have, a, we have a question. So you're, it seems as though you're presenting this as a negative thing. And it seems as though you're presenting us, this as a negative thing, a but to many of us, it's an evolution, yeah. that it's a positive and it's a positive thing. thing. This is the question. Yeah, yeah. I'm not placing a value judgment on it. I'm making an observation sure. that if war and battle was constitutive of young manhood for, oh, I don't know, 50,000 years? What, what are we going to say, 10,000 years? I, I don't know that we could ever say there, it wasn't a part of young, ma- We've young manhood. We've been biologically homo sapiens for 200,000 years. Let's say that, okay? <laughs> I'm just saying it's, that's a dramatic change. Mm-hmm. To say no, we don't go to war anymore. We go to college. I think it's. I think that's a great and explanatory I'm just saying, lens. Yeah. That's probably one I'm not, of. I'm not saying. Oh, I wish we'd close all the universities and send the boys off to war. <laughs> I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that's a change, and that if you have a change that dramatic in that short of a time, it's going to cause ch- just like my dear friend Phyllis Tickle. She took so much shit for this, even though everybody loved her. But she had this talk where she gave, and she was like, the pill 
changed womanhood. I think everybody because, agrees with her now. Because yeah. when you take the pill, you get to decide when you become pregnant and not, which all the things you were saying that women now can do is a, oh, in yeah. large part because of the pill. So, so I'm just saying it, yeah. there's a similar kind of like seismic shift in young manhood of like, oh, you don't enlist in the military anymore. You don't go to war. You don't fight for your country. Yeah. You go to college and then you try to Get a job and do your thing. Well, I was just say, is the dilemma then that there is this, like, is there, like, a residual... Uh, again, it's like, is it that we need masculinity... That, that, that's, like, the placement for masculinity is to be aggressive and in battle. No, but let me put it like war. this. If that was definitive of masculinity and that's no longer there, then what is definitive of masculinity and what are we going to replace warfare and battle with? And and I'm not saying that I don't come from like a place of sort of like male privilege, privilege in the sense that I don't have to. I'm not faced with that same dilemma, and there's like I don't no need for that sort of outlet. But it, I'm just saying that from my perspective, which is totally my own anecdote, I don't I don't find myself like needing to find like where am I going to get this? Let's just be simple, like aggression out, or like like now the dilemma is how do I handle my maleness without war as an option? Like it's just not a question. I think you. I mean. This, if this takes us a field, rein me back in. But I'm literally thinking of the Black Flag song, My War, which goes, my war, you're one of them. You say that you're my friend, but you're one of them. And it's, it's fucking hardcore music. And I actually think, I think it's convenient that that song is called My War, but like, I actually think like metal, hardcore, some of the music that you have played, we had a really pansy version of that in Sherwood. <laughs> but I still love that. I still love and respond to that music. I mean, I, I do think, like, psychologically, we find out. Let's, I actually think gaming is probably, at some neurological level, yep. tripping similar circuits yep. for, for, you know, more male but some female brains. Because, but again, like, I'm not... Far more male. Far right, more male. I'm not a binary guy. I'm a bell curve distribution guy. And if you're a patron, you're probably sick of hearing me say that. So more men than women on the distribution curve or whatever. But, like, I mean, I think that that's the, maybe it's a boring answer, but, like, the answer is we find other ways. Like, we slam dance, and we get in the fucking pit, and, you know, we do things. And I know you hate this, that tickled. disc golf? Yeah, I was just going to say, I was just going to say, disc golf is at the bottom of the list. No offense to disc golfers. Disc, is regular golf Can we do disc golf with like razor blades on the discs? That's a, that's a tough one. They're both near the bottom. Any kind of golf is near the bottom. Okay, now I'm giving, now I'm giving into the patriarchal binaries. Okay. I mean, I'm just saying Tony really cares about telling people to exercise and is always posting like videos of him using the kettlebells. So many I go, fucking go to his videos. house to pick up to pick up This is a few weeks ago I go to your house to pick up some flash drive that I needed and I'm like I'm going to hit the disc golf course and you just immediately cut it down like that's the dumbest. No, I didn't. <laughs> no, I didn't. I was, I think I probably just said of course you're going to go hit the disc golf That's course. That's the same thing. That's the yeah, same. Okay, okay. I, I want to open... I want to. I know there have been some questions, and if we didn't get to them, let's we can we'll wrap it around. But I actually want to open this up because. We don't refer to the past.